to another episode of Book Club with Kate and Kelly, a podcast where we read books and we talk to people, uh, all with the intention to improve our lives, to be better people, to find peace and purpose and meaning in our lives, uh, and most importantly, to be wise, to find wisdom, because wisdom is the most important thing that we've, that we've learned. In the last few weeks, we've talked to you know, a couple of couple different authors, a musician, and the, the biggest lesson we've learned so far, wisdom. Wisdom trumps all other achievable traits, or what would you call that? How would you describe that? But something you could pursue. Wisdom is the highest. It is the greatest. It is the most valuable, and that's what we're doing here is we're trying to be wise. We're trying to achieve a higher level of wisdom for ourselves. Uh, if you're new here, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. I do this live on usually on Mondays, but President's Day sent me back. So I'm. it's Tuesday right now, February 20, 21st, 2023. It's 3 p.m. right now. And uh, usually I just do this 3 p.m. on a Monday, but instead we're here on a, on a Tuesday and the episode's going to go live on Wednesday. If you're a regular listener to book club with Kate and Kelly. I greatly, greatly, greatly appreciate your support. I've been getting feedback. Uh, the numbers are growing. It's just a, it's just a fun time to do podcasts, man. It's, we're like almost two years in the making. Everything has changed this year. The format has changed. Um, we, we didn't used to interview anyone that that's not a normal thing. And now we we've done three interviews in the last three weeks. And I love it, man. I want to talk more about it, but I've got uh, you know, if you're if if you're a, a regular guest, you you know that we like to talk about the books that we read. But rather, lately, it's been about the note cards that we write from the books that we read. So I've got note cards for you today. But before I jump into it, of course, I got to plug my blog, KadenKelly'sBlog.wordpress.com, where you'll find blog entries. And links to my TikTok and my Instagram where I've posted videos of uh, self-improvement, self-help stuff, advice, wisdoms, things like that. And I've got a self-improvement worksheet on there that I made earlier this year. It's, it's, uh, it's still in its beta stages, but it's available for you. It's an awesome resource uh, to help keep you accountable this whole year to creating goals accomplishments and reaching them and being a better person we've got all the shit we got all the shit you need well not all of it but we're getting a lot of shit and we're getting a lot of content for all of us so welcome welcome to another episode all right yeah the last few weeks have been awesome three weeks ago i interviewed mazimo piliuchi an author the author of the quest for character uh Two weeks ago, we talked with Donald Robertson, the author of How to Think Like a Roman Emperor. Both of those authors are awesome. Philosophers, well-versed in Stoicism and other fields of philosophy or, their, or branches or th thoughts of philosophy, however you describe that. And they're, they were just brilliant. And last week, I got to chat with Scott Huerta, the frontman of French Cassettes, an awesome band talked about uh, we talked about um, inspiration and motivation and discouragement but then we talked about music and concerts and stuff it was just so f it was like the most casual episode that I've done I think and um, 
I loved it, man. He's an awesome dude. They were all awesome dudes. And brilliant. All smarter and more educated and well better versed in life and uh everything that you know the things that they focus on it was awesome and i appreciated their time so go back and listen to those episodes you can find find them on my book club with kaden kelly on spotify on apple Podcasts, on youtube uh maybe not on youtube yet because i haven't been posting anything to youtube lately because uh, the software that I use now is works a little bit differently than how I've been doing it in the past, and it doesn't. Uh, I think this, these live episodes go straight to YouTube, but not my, not my recordings of the interviews. I need to do that still. Uh, yeah, and I've been struggling with. Here's the point because the lot for the last three weeks, as you know, the here's the point episodes usually run, uh, in tandem with my book club episodes. Where they're kind of teasers, or they're just uh, they're just little segments of of the book club episodes. But for the last three weeks, again, they've been interviews, and I don't have I haven't created fifteen minute clips. I've been trying to find a guy, you know, someone on Fiverr that can do the uh, interview the, or that can break down the interviews into clips. Uh, something to post on Instagram and then little short 60 second clips to, for TikTok and Instagram because I don't have the time in the day to do it. I got work to do. I got shit to do. And uh, my my time is better spent creating the content and um, I, I'm learning how to edit it and, and share it. But anyway, I want to focus more on the creation anyway. So I'm working on doing all of that. It's expensive, man. Everything that it, it just everybody wants to cut as they as they well deserve for their hard work that they put in and i just don't have a ton of extra spare cash for the podcast so anyway plus it takes some time and some planning and execution and yeah i just i just haven't uh, i haven't figured it out but i'm really excited to share those things and to build to continue building this podcast it's grown over the last almost 2 years uh to uh to uh is formidable the right word to a formidable size? Like it's it's grown. It's grown to a healthy number. I'm gonna define formidable. Inspiring fear or respect through being impressively large, powerful, intense, or capable. It's not that large. It's not I guess it's not formidable then. I don't I don't inspire fear or respect. But I have grown a little bit of an audience. I get consistent listeners. So you guys that are listening, I, I, I don't know where you've come from because I've, I have done no serious advertising for the show and you continue to show up and I, I seriously can't be more grateful for your support, for your, for your support week by week. And the best, all that I want to do is be consistent and persistent and provide really, really high quality content with messages that inspire you to be a better person, that help you overcome hardship, help you deal with hardship, uh, to take advantage of your situation in life, to make the best of all of your situations, uh, whether you're, you know, whether you're born into a rich family and have a ton of access to a ton of different resources, or you're on the opposite end and you're struggling, but you want to improve your life, you, you, the message here is that you are in control 
of your life. You're in control of the decisions that you make. You're not in control of the circumstances that befall you, but you are in control of how you respond. And just because you respond well to your circumstances doesn't guarantee success. It doesn't guarantee fame or fortune. And those are shallow values to strive for anyway. As you remember from Viktor Frankl, from, uh, from Man's Search for Meaning, he illustrates how it was, it was hope that carried people through Auschwitz and the concentration camps that they endured. But just because you had hope didn't guarantee your survival either. He talked about people that were hopeless and still survived and people that were full of hope and full of peace and still perished. It's, it doesn't guarantee your good behavior and your rightful action and your integrity and your persistence and discipline. It doesn't guarantee success. It, and in their case, it didn't guarantee survival. But what it does guarantee is it guarantees your own peace. It guarantees your own, your own well-being, you know, as well of, as well of a, that you can be in a, as a, as a prisoner. Uh, but you can find peace. You can find peace in any situation, whether you're born to rich family in, w- with great inheritance or you're born in, into poverty and into uh, lowly circumstances. The goal isn't fame and fortune. Although, as we've learned, there is a certain number uh, of income that greatly increases a person's well-being, their happiness. And I think in the United States, that number ranges from like $100,000 a year of income per individual, I think, per individual. But anything more than that is basically the impact that it has on your on your well-being is insignificant. So if you if you are in the United States and you have an income of lower than $100,000, rather let's look at it this way. If you have $50,000, if you make $50,000 a year, your your well-being, your your security will uh, your peace of mind will greatly increase jumping from 50,000 to $100,000 a year than it would if you jumped from 100,000 to 150,000 dollars or if you had 150 to 200 and then down the road what we what what the research has learned and what I'm remembering is at a certain point actually your well-being will start to decrease the more money you make and my assumption is after you start making maybe like more than a million dollars you've you're at a point in life where you you can purchase just about anything you want. You know, you're you're not really restrained by anything. And that extra cash can influence you to make some pretty poor decisions. If you if you have a million dollars but you don't have good ethics or morals, you're going to blow it on prostitutes and cocaine. And you're going to fly to to what's Ibiza? You're going to take a pill in Ibiza, whatever that song is. And you're going to get high and you're going to make poor decisions. And then once that, once that ends, either the money runs out or the health, your health runs out, you're going to feel like shit. And your quality of life will actually decrease even though you've got a bunch of money. Money doesn't guarantee the happiness or doesn't guarantee security. I close this window. Uh, none, of, none of that guarantees well-being 
it's it's a peace of mind and it's the wisdom that's so important like i said at the very beginning of the episode wisdom is probably the greatest good a person can pursue and uh in light of that i've pulled out several note cards from the last little while all of which are from donald robertson's how to think like an a roman emperor uh, on wisdom and I re- I don't know what happened. One morning, I just like all of the this. I think these are the only cards I have on wisdom. Even though that pretty much everything I've written down is a kind of wisdom. Everything that uh, or or these are the only cards that I've labeled as wisdom. But anything anything that helps you make better decisions is wisdom. And what I loved so much from what Pigliucci said, Pigliucci said, the G is silent. What I loved what Piliucci said was, or maybe it was Robertson, I actually can't recall. Uh, they said, um, most people aren't even, even able to define what wisdom is or what being wise is. And my initial response was, and I want to see what Google says too, but my initial response was, wisdom is knowing the difference between what's good and what's bad, what's right. And what's wrong. And then integrity is doing what's right and what's good regardless of the situation, right? That's That's been my interpretation of wisdom. But let's see. Define wisdom. What does Google say? Uh, the quality. This is just the top uh, result. The quality of having experience, knowledge, and good judgment. The quality of being wise. Similar. The soundness of an action or decision with regard to the application of experience, knowledge, and good judgment. Similar. The body of knowledge and principles that develops within a specified society or period, or wisdoms. What is the real meaning of wisdom? This is from Cambridge.org. The ability to make good judgments based on what you have learned from your experience or the knowledge and understanding that gives you this ability. Wisdom also means the quality of being a good judgment, of being in good judgment. No, they said being a good judgment, so they got it wrong, not me. Wisdom also means the quality of being in good judgment. I question the wisdom of separating a child from his brothers and sisters, whatever the circumstances. I, I don't know. If, uh, so it's not so much about knowing what's right and wrong. It's about your, they're, they're describing wisdom as your lived experience or knowledge and good judgment the quality of being wise but yeah to me it's a little it's a little deeper than that it's not just it's not just like having lived life and experienced right from wrong or like experienced something and then learned right from wrong from that experience but like yeah wisdom to me is like i haven't experienced what it's like to have a million dollars but um if if uh Okay, so then maybe there's a couple of different ways to look at it. Because once you, if you get a million dollars, then it takes some lived experience with that money to learn what I should do with this money, what I shouldn't do. And mostly in retrospect, I spent it on prostitutes and pills in Ibiza. Uh, I shouldn't, and then 10 years down the road, I shouldn't have done that. That's wisdom. Or you, and then encouraging other people or, or teaching other people how to use their money. That's wisdom. But it's also wisdom for me right now, not having a million dollars to say or to know that peace and well-being and uh, comes from 
spending and using money wisely, regardless of the amount. If I, I don't have a million dollars, I've barely got enough to pay my bills, you know, but I, uh, I've got, I've got enough to know that if I spend in excess, uh, with, with the little money that I have, that that's not good. Like over the weekend, I bought some extra pickleball gear and, uh, like some new shoes and a new paddle and some grip tape and some, and a, a bag, you know, like all just, I upgraded all my pickleball stuff. But I didn't consult my finan- my finances first. I just put it on the credit card. Is that wise? Probably not. But I don't need a million dollars to know how to spend my money wisely. I guess I just need to have some money to know how to spend money wisely. There you go. I like that. So wisdom isn't necessarily just lived experience, but it's also knowledge and good judgment. And so I wrote about it in my journal uh, after talking to Mazimo about money and wisdom again maybe it was with robertson it probably was with robertson actually but an egregious or not egregious but uh people can do egregious things with a lot of money when you have a lot of power and influence and then you come across a lot of money but you don't have good judgment and you're not wise you're not a wise person you can do some pretty horrible things uh, you can, well, I don't want to go through examples. You could probably imagine what horrible things rich people can do to other people, exploiting them, persecuting them, enslaving them, or influencing other people with other kinds of money or means of power to do their bidding, to do, or, or to, yeah, to bring to life whatever visions or plans that they have. So you can do some pretty awful things with money, but at, on the other side, you can do some really powerful positive things with money to change lives in a positive way there's always the other side to the coin right but it takes wisdom to know i'm not that happiness and peace and well-being doesn't come from getting high in ibiza it comes from well well what do you what does it mean to you honestly honestly to me uh peace and well-being doesn't come from having the money having a ton of money it comes from spending my time the most in the most meaningful ways possible and to use it wisely to, and to be resourceful and to be respectful and to have quality time with the people I care about and to spend time doing the things that I enjoy, my hobbies, but also my work, my business, my passions, my skills, playing music. So peace comes in a lot of different ways, but it doesn't come from just having the money. All right, I'm spending a lot of time talking about money. That's not the whole point of the conversation, but that's what we're here to talk about is wisdom. So, uh, and, and it's not just about money, but with power and influence. If you are, like if you just are tweeting and you're angry and bitter, but you all of a sudden gain uh, a large following of people that are that are willing to do your bidding, you can influence them to do some pretty horrible stuff. And... I know there's controversy around it, but I'm going to say it anyway. Like the whole thing with the, with the January 6th and the, and Donald Trump inciting violence. And I think, but I think he was cleared of it anyway. doesn't matter. That's not the point. The point is a person like Donald Trump who has both money and power and influence can, uh, inf- can influence 
people to do something horrible. And it happens everywhere. And the story that just popped into my mind is the Jamestown story. Uh, if you're not familiar with Jamestown, it was a it was a religious group. Okay, really briefly, because we and I know we talked about it in another episode because I I learned about it from a book. But there was this preacher or pastor or bishop or somebody who was a very influential religious person. I gotta put my hat on. My hair is fucking crazy. There was this religious person who uh, garnered quite the following of religious people and radicalized them essentially to follow him into, I think, the Amazon where they built uh, built like temples or, or just some structures to live there. And I think this is a different... There is maybe I think I might start combining two different stories because there's the Kool Aid story and that's a different story, right? All I can now I'm now I'm vague with the details, but everybody, just about everybody, Jamestown ended up dying because, and I don't remember exactly what led to it, but he convinced all of his followers to drink. Yeah, it was a Kool Aid. So the same story, to drink the Kool Aid. And it caused them to, it was basically, it was a, it was some kind of poison. Is it the same story was with the comet where there was like a comet coming across the, you know, the, uh, fucking atmosphere and it was Haley's comet <laughs> and they drink the Kool-Aid and they join the spirits in the comet. By the way, if anybody's chatting in the Twitch, I'll remind you here that I don't have the comets pulled up and it, because it's kind of distracting. It's kind of distracting, even though I want to read your comments and I want to. I just don't know how to include it on my software. So right now I've got no comments. So if you're trying to correct me on my stories or my facts, you're not going to. You're going to get all this fake news. But in any case, Jamestown was real. But it started with a guy who who garnered and radicalized a bunch of people to follow him because of his religious beliefs. And I'm actually enamored with religious conversation as of late and i i couldn't tell you exactly why but it's just taking up most of my free time education after i do my reading and writing and studying and work like instead of listening to music or self-improvement podcasts i've been listening to like religious debates with atheists and apologists and i uh, i don't know and for all of you OGs, you know that that's how this podcast originally started. The first 10 episodes, or like 20 hours, because episodes were three hours back in the day, uh, were was all about my religious journey and beliefs and uh, realizations. So, but I've been I've been super consumed, and uh, a lot of Sam Harris and. Christopher Hawkins, oh, uh, Hitchens, Christopher Hitchens. And I've just, I'm just learning about Christopher Hitchens, how he died from esophageal cancer, cancer of the esophagus. Is it esophageal? Esophageal? Esophageal, right? And because he smoked and drank incessantly. And then I, as I was reading about him, there was some interview where he said, that every drink and every cigarette 
was worth it. <laughs> After he died from cancer at like 50 something. Um, so it's, and he was, a he was, is another, he's an, another thing that I learned about, uh, he was an anti-theist, not an, he was an atheist and also anti-theist. And you remember Lawrence Krauss? We read his book, uh, the greatest story ever told so far, Lawrence Krauss. Um, Lawrence Krauss described himself also as anti-theist, which I'm learning now. Uh, really means that not just that there is no God, but that we are better off without a God. And that if there was a God, that uh, that would, uh, how, how do they describe it? Essentially that we're better off with, if the, if the truth is, or the reality is that there is no God. And so making the, they, he, he doesn't just like, make the case on why religion or rather that God isn't real, but he argues why humans are better off. I I think Harris is the same way anti-theist. So I'm listening to this interview right now with Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson on YouTube from 2019, I believe. And it's the same. It's like Harris follows the same dialogue. And what's so interesting is, Christopher Hitchens died in, I think, 2012. So his interviews have taken place more than a decade ago. And I'm sure it's, I'm, I'm, I would not be surprised that the argument has been basically the same for the last 100 years or the last 75 years or whatever since most of these scientific discoveries that, uh, that support an anti-theist claim uh, have been around. It claims like, Claims like a uh, Big Bang origin story and evolution, which is Darwin's theory, which is, I think, 19th century. In any case, they make the same. I'm not even going to get to my note cards, but I'm, I don't even give a, I don't even give a fuck. Um, this is the, this is my podcast now. This is how, this is how we do things. This is still good though. This is still a, a, informative and educational. <laughs> so the, the, claim that several of the apologists christian apologists they've all been christian i don't think not i haven't listened to one where he's argued or debated with a, a a religious apologist that's not a christian so it's all christianity but the but they make the same claims that how can you get something out of nothing and where does how do you have morals where do your morals come from as an atheist, if there is no God, and if God is so awful, where do more, more where does morality come from? And I'm not done with the Harris and Peterson debate. I've only seen clips, and I know they so I know they allude to the same conversation. But the several that I've listened to with Christopher Hitchens, um, they all make the same case. And what I what what I love so much, and this is not a podcast about religion, and I and I'm not here to. Uh, validate their claims or to argue against Christianity or religion or God for that matter. But I, but I stand um, rather I sit here and am in agreement agreement with Hitchens where he says religion, religion promotes that they have all of the answers that they actually have 
all of the answers to human origin, to purpose, and to afterlife and morality. And they have the answers. And what anthropologists and other scientists from a lot of these books behind me actually refer to uh, morality and re uh, religion, rather, I would, I would say that they describe religion as the foundation of – okay, no, I want to rephrase it. Things like morality and things like where we came from are all explained through God and the God story. And, of course, there's different stories from different religions and different people. That's a whole different conversation. But the point is religion is, has been used in the past for thousands of years to, to explain where we've come from, why we're here, why we have morals, why morals matter, and where we're going when we die, and what happens when we die. And, and of course, science, uh, science can't, can't prove that there's not an afterlife or that there's not a God or not a purpose to, the, to our life. Uh, but what I love what Hitchens says is we don't have to. Science doesn't have to prove those things, that, they, that there is a purpose or that there's not. In fact, science more so doesn't claim those things. Uh, the big argument is, well, science science relies on the Big Bang for the for the human origin story. So, what? How did something spring from nothing, or rather, sprout from nothing? Where, if it, oh, doesn't it make more much more sense that there's a divine creator and an architect to the universe and to the the whole scheme of time and life and meaning? And Hitchens says, uh, I don't. Uh, science doesn't try to under or science doesn't understand those things right now and therefore we don't know and i'm not going to pretend that i know by arguing with uh by arguing with the, by, with a the, theological point of view by it's, it's basically speculation so i guess that what i'm saying is and what i what i'm so uh what I love from these debates is, yeah, we don't have to, we don't have, you don't have to know. Of course we want to know. Of course we want to know the meaning to our life and we want to, we want to feel purpose and we don't want, we don't want to exist and die and disappear. It's scary. It's existential and it's pessimistic. And if there is no meaning to the life, then why not just to fight and fuck and steal and cheat and lie and uh, because, and, and my short response, is because we can't live as, as a society that way. And that's the whole point from, of Stoicism, as one of those two Stoic interviews went, was philosophy or the art of living. And I know it's Mazimono because he's the one that coined, or not coined, but uses the term the art of living, is that to live well is to live in accordance with in nature, that's Marcus Aurelius, but also to live well amongst others and to, and to not be uh, um, immoral or disobedient to nature. What does that mean to be disobedient to nature? Uh, I, you know, I, that's a 
I'm going to retract that because I don't exactly know how I would support saying that. But the point is, um, evolutionary, evolutionarily speaking, morals come from our desire to live amongst other humans. And that's, that's how we've evolved is to, is to be social and to work together. That's why it feels bad when people don't like you. If we were a purely isolated species, isolated from each other, where we, we only needed ourselves to survive, like lots of animals. Uh, like I watched a documentary on the snow. It was probably it was probably planet Earth, but about the snow leopard. There's one of those cats, big cats, that spend 99% of their life in isolation. And I just made that figure up, 99%. But I remember it's the majority of their life. And they, uh, what I remember is they spent their time moving from place to place in the mountains solo. But they would pee on all these spots. But they would just go in like a, like they would make a loop. Uh, over time, like a week's time, and they, but what they would, they would find that other snow leopards were peeing on the same spots, and it was like their way of communicating with the other leopards. It's, it's really, you know, but that's nature. These cats spend most of their life in isolation. That's how they've evolved to behave, and every now and then they'll get together to mate. And I don't know how that works or how they how they actually get together. But humans, what I'm saying is humans, humans have evolved to work together, to cooperate. That's how we've, that's how we've built this, the world that we live in. It's not been by individual contribution, rather individual contribution to the group or to the whole, to the entirety of the population. If, if somebody invented the, the, the wheel but they never shared it then it would then it, uh, then it would be up to the next per like it would be up to the next person to come up with the wheel and share it but if you know you know what i mean if like someone invented the internet but refused to share it with the world <laughs> then either we wait for the next person to discover the internet and share it with the world or we don't get the internet you know uh or that one person and or one small group or tribe or whatever gets the internet and uh, dominate the world. <laughs> they wipe out the rest of humans, which is probably uh, something similar probably happened to the extinction of other hominid species of Homo erectus and Austra Australopithecus. Um, and there, are other, there are other human species. Those are the only two I can remember right now. Shit. Uh, but probably be, pro humans probably uh, survived beyond other human species because of something like that. Because of some ability to work together better than the other human species. To share tools and resources and information. To allow them to cooperate, collaborate, and compete at an advantage with, the, with others. So that's... that's uh, here, this wasn't going to be a podcast about religion. It's still not. I still got these motherfucking cards in 20 minutes. So we're going to get to it. But that's what I'm so attracted or so invested in right now is uh, origin stories and uh, 
more so human origin stories and how religion isn't just probably not true, but possibly harmful overall. And there's the case that, well, uh, religions contribute to hospitals and charities and our first responders and our, uh, can provide welfare and housing and security and comfort and camaraderie. But those aren't inherent to religion, of course. Anybody can do those things. Anybody can be charitable, regardless of your belief. And uh, an, a, a point that atheists make is that a lot of wars are, are contributed to the or, or, or by religions. But of course, wars can also happen by anybody. And the, the argument is, well, okay, God promotes charities and that's why churches are charitable. Um. And you, then you could turn that argument against religious people as well that, well, if God is so charitable, then why is he also so uh, so vengeful with his wars, fighting wars? Anyway, I, I'm going down a rabbit hole. But um, the, the I, I think maybe the point I'm trying to make is it's it really comes down to human individual behavior and perhaps the – uh, but perhaps by removing account of individual accountability and saying God prompt God uh, inspired me to behave this way. God told me, um, God told me to be a vengeful, spiteful person against this race or against this religion, because God's word is the one true word, and they they take the authority and they remove. Uh, 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 most importantly, they remove individual accountability for their actions in the name of God. People aren't doing that with atheism. They'll so, but there are radicals, of course, that are atheists, and their motives are individual and personal. And they're and those people are, are usually psychotic. They're all psychotic. So anyway, that's what I'm. I'm still reading this book. I'm taking my dear sweet time with it, but I'm still reading it. Uh, but I'm doing a lot of note cards. I've gone through several, whoops, through my pen. I've gone through several books uh, in my note cards. I've got these cards on wisdom. Fuck. We're going to start. Now let's get back to the conversation on wisdom. I'm going to get some water. Give me a second. All right. So like I said, all most of these cards, well, I'll just read the the ones from how to Think Like a Roman Emperor by Donald Robertson. Okay. Talk about wisdom. Being the most important value a person can strive for because it helps you be not only the best version of yourself, but also to help other people live the best version of their lives possible too. To make the best decisions possible. Not just through lived experience, but also through knowledge. And was it self-reflection? Oh, I closed the window. Okay, so this is from Robertson. The true goal of life for Stoics isn't to acquire as many external advantages as possible, but to use whatever befalls us wisely. The Stoic sage or wise man needs nothing but uses everything well. The fool believes himself to need countless things but he uses them all badly. 
It's exactly what I was saying with money. 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 (laughs) Uh, A wise person doesn't need excessive amounts of money or external things, really. I mean, you could think about the like the first thing that comes to my mind is Buddha. Well, Buddha was this guy who lived minimalist life and monks lived minimally. Uh, Everyone needs food and water and shelter and there's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Um, And to some extent, I I would suppose that even enlightened people like monks have reached all of those things on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which are, I'm going to see if I can remember, safety, physiological needs, there's safe, okay, there's physiological needs like food, water, clothing, then there's physiological, oh, okay, fuck it, I'm not going to waste any time. Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Uh, images. Where's the one that I like? This one works. Okay, physiological is first. No. Shit. Hold on. I lost it. Physiological is first. Breathing, food, water, sex, sleep, homeostasis, excretion. Shitting? What? That's on here. Sorry, that's what Wikipedia Spring 2007 says. So first one, physiological. Safety is the second. Security of body, employment, resources, morality, of the family, of health, of property. The third is love and belonging. Friendship, family, sexual intimacy. So I guess monks are forfeiting family and sexual intimacy, but they have friendships. They have camaraderie with the other monks, I guess. Feel love and belonging that way. Esteem, self-esteem is the fourth one, the fourth from the top. I'm sorry, fourth from the bottom. Oh, I just threw all my cards. Self-esteem, confidence, achievement, respect of others, respect by others. Uh, But monks don't care about achievement. They care about enlightenment. That's their goal. And self-actualization is enlightenment. Morality, creativity, spontaneity problem solving lack of prejudice so even monks um yeah and i threw my card let me find the card i just read from oh yes okay so the true goal of life isn't for stoics to acquire as many external advantages as possible it's to use them wisely it's to use what you have at your disposal wisely and uh remember seneca he spent he he was known to have a lot of money uh but he would spend time with nothing with no clothes with no bed with or okay maybe for clothes he had the bare minimum but he would sleep on the floor and he would eat nothing but bread and water and live as minimal minimally as possible to remind himself not necessarily because there's wisdom in suffering itself but to remind himself that it is not things that give you meaning in life. It is not things, but it is how you spend your time. And it is, it's wisdom. How you spend your time, how you view your situation, you view your circumstances and realize you are only in control of your thoughts and your actions. You're not even in, you're not even in control of your emotional responses to your, to your situation. Uh, Like when people yell at you, or, or hurt you verbally, physically. You can't control 
uh, the, the feelings of fear or insecurity. But you can always choose how you're going to respond. So that's the first piece of wisdom. That's the first card. We don't strive for external advantages. Stoics don't. But they strive to use what they have at their disposal well. Uh, another from Robertson. Epictetus ta- Okay, so he's telling a story. And I paraphrase. This is me paraphrasing. Epictetus taught that there are two stages of response to any event. The first, initial impressions that are impossible, whoops, that are imposed involuntarily on our own minds from the outside. That's what I just described. Our emotions. These are involuntary um, reactions to our external circumstances. But there are two stages of response to any event. There is the involuntary response, And then the second, quote, we add voluntary judgments of our assessment, whoops, of our assent to these automatic impressions. So there is the initial response, the involuntary response, just the way that our our body responds to any situation, whether someone's beating us up verbally or physically or is flirting with us and is trying to win our approval. There are those feelings that are involuntary that we have that as we respond. And then there are uh, the there are our voluntary judgments of these situations. He goes on to say that the stoic sage does not go along with the initial initial emotional reactions to a situation that have invaded his mind. He continues about what the wise and unwise man do. Okay, let me grab the book because I've got it right here. I kind of want to read the rest of what he says. This is why I love the note cards because I can go straight to the page. 64. Um, it's going to be on 66 actually, I think. What he does not do though is make things worse for himself by continuing to work. Oh, wait. Yeah. That's on another card. Oh, it's on this next... What the? The truly, this is another card, but I think I got it wrong. The truly important thing in life is, oh no, 66. Oh, that's card 89. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Sorry. Little delay. Here we go. There's another card that follows with the quote. So to continue on that thought, on voluntary and involuntary reactions to our external circumstances to the world around us the truly important thing in life is how we choose to respond so he reminds us i think he being epictetus he he reminds himself to view the storm with stoic indifference and to respond with wisdom and courage while accepting his initial nervous reaction as harmless and inevitable what he does not do though is make things worse for himself by continuing to worry Yes, I remember. I actually kind of, I think I want to read that story. It's Epictetus talking to his students about being in the storm. What to do if you're in, if you're, uh, how to respond if you feel fear in the storm. Let me see, 60. Uh, um, the hearts of the most experienced. Okay. Uh, I don't know if this is exactly where I want to start. 
Okay. Uh, oh, wait. It was right here. Epictetus rep- reputedly told his students that the founders of Stoicism distinguished between two stages of, of our response to any event. Okay, I just read this. There's the involuntary response. Uh, these impressions can be trigger- triggered, says Epictetus, by a terrifying sound, such as a pearl of thunder. A peal of thunder. I've never heard that. A peal of thunder. A building collapsing or a sudden cry of danger. Even the mind of a perfect Stoic sage will initially be shaken by abrupt shocks of this kind, and he will shrink back from them instinctively in alarm. This reaction doesn't come from faulty value judgments about the dangers faced, but from an emotional reflex arising in his body, which temporarily bypasses reason. Epictetus might have added that these emotional reactions are comparable to those experienced by non-human animals. Seneca, for instance, notes that when animals are alarmed by the appearance of danger, they take flight, but after they have escaped, their anxiety soon abates and they return to grazing in peace once again. By contrast, the human capacity for thought allows us to perpetuate our worries beyond these natural bounds. Reason, our greatest blessing, is also our greatest curse, which is, and then that's our second stage of response, which is our voluntary judgments of the world around us, which is interesting to note because someone else somewhere described that we are all the descendants of humans that uh, that assumed worst case scenarios because it led to their survival. If you had, if you had, um, like, uh, not incompetent. What's the word I'm looking for? Maybe, no, it's like, it, so if you if you take our direct descendant, if they were walking around in the Amazon, not the Amazon, in the, this, in the fucking, okay, wherever the fuck they're walking, and they heard a bush rustle, they would, their instincts told them, that's a predator, I need to escape. Whether it's true or not, those are the ones that survived. But the uh, but the ancestors that heard the rustling in the bushes and thought nothing of it were the ones to perish sometimes when it was a deadly predator. What would you call that? Complacent? I think they were. Com- those are complacent. It was it was the gene the 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 gene for complacency is not as strong as the gene for creating false negatives uh imagining a situation to be worse than it is but but that's what that's how our direct descendants survived in the sahara and the amazon i guess wherever the fuck they are because if you assume that it's a deadly predator and it wasn't you're still going to survive but if you are complacent and you say ah it's just a rustling but it wasn't those people died those ancestors died. Okay, I want to keep going really quickly about, about this, about our response. In other words, okay, so he goes through the, the three stages. Oh, wait. Uh, uh, Seneca gives a more detailed account of the Stoic model of emotion. Okay, so he talks about emotion in three stages. In other words, a certain amount of anxiety is natural. Indeed, the hearts of even the most experienced sailors might leap into their mouths when the ship when their ship looks like it's about to be overturned. Bravery would consist in carrying on regardless of dealing with the situation rationally. 
The Stoic, likewise, tells himself that although the situation may appear frightening, the truly important thing in life is how he chooses to respond. This is what I just read. So he reminds himself to view the storm with stoic indifference and to respond with wisdom and courage while accepting his his initial nervous reaction as harmless and inevitable. What he does not do, though, is make things worse for himself by continuing to worry. And that's why there's a whole book that Ryan Holiday wrote called Courage is Calling, which I haven't indexed yet, but I've read and covered if you want to go find that episode. Uh, courage is a cardinal virtue courage which is i've always found interesting because it falls in line with discipline wisdom and justice the fourth being courage why is courage such a big deal it deserves its own episode in fact it deserves several episodes just like it deserves several books but courage is Courage in this situation is so important. Sorry, I keep hitting my microphone. I'm not used to it. It sticks out at the bottom like a, far more than my other mic did. Courage is so uh, essential in this situation or in this scenario because if you are – if you – yeah, if, if you're faced with a hard situation where something hard happens to you, if you if you are filled with cowardice, you will retreat or you'll react uh, with inappropriately, incorrectly, and uh, courage is required to react in a positive way, even to the most frightening circumstances. I guess the sailor, a sailor, is the best um, example here, as as Seneca described two thousand years ago. Even the most experienced sailor might have his heart leap into his throat at the sight that his ship might be overturned. But a, a, the stoic sage or the wise man will recognize that fear, the anxiety, and continue to act in courage. And I remember Ryan Holiday sharing in his in Courage is Calling um, a, a, a trait of courage is if you if you truly possess courage you react with courage your initial response is courage and he describes an experience of and I'll, I'll i'm doing it injustice by recalling it incorrectly likely but there's a story of marines in uh in the middle east at maybe a, a us military base or embassy or something and they notice something peculiar going on around the base turned out to be some kind of bomb threat. And they ended up these two Marines in a Humvee somehow intercepted the bomb, sacrificing themselves, but saving those in the camp, a a true feat of heroism, heroism and courage. And it was, even if it had, even if they're, you know, in their minds, this is going to be the end of my life. And uh, this or, you know, at least it's going to hurt. But this could this could this could end my life. Their their response was courage and heroism to save their comrades by doing something that their initial reaction there, that fear would cause any person to consider otherwise. Courage is courage is. 
it falls in line with the four cardinal virtues uh, and and just just in that one example let's keep going i know i'm getting close to my hour mark so let's see what, if i can get through the rest of these real quick uh this is later on in the book wisdom therefore consists in grasping external things objectively as indifferent in this regard oh my notes are such chicken scratch wisdom therefore consists in grasping external things objectively as indifferent in this regard if you stick with the facts and don't unnecessarily extrapolate from them you will put paid to many anxieties in life yeah that makes sense wisdom therefore consists in grasping external things objectively ah yes so how uh, how do you view external things objectively huh the the easiest way to put that is don't take anything personally and no one says it better than uh the uh four agreements book by uh ruiz don something do i have it right here that's somewhere um don't take things personally if you if you if anything happens and you've you take it as a personal slight you're you're taking the experience or the external situation subjectively you're taking it as if it's happening to you but if you change your perspective and view all things objectively uh as he says you if you stick with the facts and don't unnecessarily extrapolate from them you will put paid to many anxieties in life i'm going to keep going because we got a little bit of time as aristotle said fire burns just the same in greece as in persia but men's judgments about what's good or bad vary from place from one place to another i think that might be a quote oh yeah it's from aristotle fuck Fire burns just the same in Greece as in Persia, but men's judgments about what's good or bad vary from one place to another. Uh, I'm going to skip that one and go last card. The wise man loves life and is grateful for the opportunities it gives him, but he accepts that everything changes and nothing lasts forever. If there's one truth to life for all of us, uh, there, there's probably two great truths, but the one that co- that relates is everything changes. Everything always changes, and everything will always change. Nothing will ever stay the same forever. That's the nature of our universe, of our world, of our of our experience. And just like this podcast won't stay the same. It's changed over two years. Your relationships will change. Your job status, even your hobbies and your passions, what turns you on, what turns you off, everything will change. It will always change. And I think my grandma says something like it. The only thing, the only constant thing in life is change. Very wise for my dear, sweet grandma. And uh, to live peacefully, the wise man loves life and is grateful for the opportunities but he accepts that everything changes and nothing lasts forever. So the two, the two biggest lessons I think from Stoicism are these, is that everything changes or more so, 
nothing stays the same forever and that the best the the most the truest path to peace is to accept that not everything is in your control in fact most things are not in your control and to only focus on what is in your control only focus on what you can influence and usually that only is your mind your thoughts and it's your actions your body so uh focus on those things focusing that we uh, we love life for what it is we take advantage of of uh the opportunities presented to us in this moment and we aren't resentful of opportunities that we don't have we're grateful for the life we live the fact that we are even alive and able to think if even if not for ourselves if we're enslaved as frankel was we can find peace that we can do our best in our own situations of course i say that from a place of privilege uh uh, in uh, in my saying that from my own home and not from a prison cell like Frankel, but uh, again, wisdom doesn't necessarily come just from lived experience. Not only from lived experience, uh, you can experience, you can become a prisoner and live as a prisoner like Frankel did, and come out unwise. Come out, come out no wiser than you were before. It takes introspection. And viewing things objectively, as Robertson says, uh, to find wisdom and to find peace, to find not just like not that uh, everything happens for a reason, but observing what is happening and what it means and what the what the facts are and not unnecessarily extrapolating from them. Uh, That's uh, that's wisdom, baby. I love this shit. I love this podcast. I'm grateful for you guys. If you want more content like this. Stick around every week. Uh, I post once a week. I'm gonna try to figure out something new with the "Here's the Point" episode, but you can get you can bet your bottom dollar that I'll be posting at book club once a week, uh, unless there's some crazy random events. There have been in the in the past, mostly once a week. But if you want more content, um, check out my blog, kadenkellysblog.wordpress.com. Find all, a bunch of other resources for self improvement like my Instagram and uh, those little reels and my blog, whatever, man. Uh, we, you're only in control of, you're not even in control of where your life is going. All you can do is do your absolute best and roll with the punches, baby. Whether you do your best and things work out or not is not up to you. The only thing that is up to you is that you show up for yourself. You show up and you work hard and you're persistent and you know when to quit. Quitting is just – it takes just as much discipline to know when to quit than, when, than to continue to pursue at, when, it, when it starts working – when the thing works against you. You know, there's a, whole, there's a whole conversation about quitting and discipline I think in previous episodes. But definitely in Ryan Holiday's Discipline is Destiny. Um, if you want to reach out with book suggestions or comments, you can go to my blog, find my email or socials and message me there. And uh, I wish that I was able to read the chat. I don't have access to the chat in Twitch or YouTube or Facebook. So I think I'm just, I actually think I'm going to go no chat from now on because I can stay a little more focused and that's fine. So tune in next time, next week on Book Book Club with Kate and Kelly. Thanks for showing up. Have a great week. Do something that challenges yourself, puts you in a little bit of discomfort and helps you find peace and meaning 
in your life. Have a good one.